All right, let's get started. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. A very warm welcome to you, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time with us. Great to have you here at Real Life Church. Um, Today we're going to be um, doing our final part of the Freedom in Christ course. This is something we started way back in October last year. We've run the course, we've run the Steps to Freedom, which were a couple of evenings we offered for the guys and the girls to deal with some stuff that God would bring up, work through unforgiveness, any wrong thinking they had in mind, and it's been an outstanding course. I hope you've had a good time on it, and I hope God's done some work in your life. I know personally God has done many things in my life. I've dealt with some wrong thinking, dealt with some unforgiveness, something I didn't even know I had in my life. Um, I'm actually halfway through my second stronghold buster, working through some wrong thinking. I did day 20 today, and I did it in my, um, my journal, so I've got lots of good things God is doing. Maybe in the worship time later, we'll um, have some opportunity for you to share stories if God's done some good stuff with us. So we're finishing off the day. For those who missed the Steps to Freedom, um, we're running one other mop-up session on the 10th of April, Sunday the 10th of April. There are four people who've already said, yes, we missed those two days back in January. We'd like to do it. So they're going to be doing it. I'll be running it at Dave and Haley's house. We've got four people. There are a few places. We can't have too many because of space. But if you think you've missed it, you've done some of the course, you missed those couple of evenings, come and talk to me and I can slot you in and we can get a few more done. So that's the 10th of April. So we're finishing today the Freedom in Christ course. Next week on Sunday is what? Thank you. Well done, said the mum in the room. It's Mother's Day, and don't you forget. It's Mother's Day, Mel's speaking, and we're going to be honouring the women of Real Life Church. So just so you know that, and then after that we'll be um, starting our Easter series. But today we're finishing um, Steps to Freedom, part 13, staying on the right path. Now, unless Jesus returns, you're going to die. Okay? Good news to begin with. You're welcome. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. And one day, everything that we have accumulated, the relationships, the qualifications, the possessions, the money, will all come to an end and we will no longer have them because we will have passed away and they will all be left behind and effectively come to nothing. And there's only one thing in this life, really, that you cannot lose, and that is your relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus and everything that comes in it is the one thing that is going to last beyond this life, last into eternity. And it's the one thing that we should be excited about in our life above everything else. For us, for death, the Bible says, is not so much an end but a a beginning of eternity with Jesus and being with him to ever. This is why when we read Philippians, the Apostle Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's something better about it. There's something more. And the interesting thing, if you read that verse um, and you put anything else in it, it doesn't quite work. If you write, for me to live is my career, to die is loss, really. For me to live is my family, to die is well, loss, because you're going to leave them. For me to live is my ministry and what I do. Well, then to die is loss, because it's kind of, it's all being left behind. The point is that the most important thing in life, the thing we should live for is Jesus. And we saw last week, if you were here, if you missed it, you can catch up on the web, that what God wants for us, what a goal for our life is to become more and more like Jesus in character. 
And we know that when we die, that will only get better and better as we become perfect before him and we spend eternity with him. Now, that's great, but when we walk in the nitty-gritty of life, walking by faith day by day, that's what we need to try and work out because that's what we're doing now until that day comes when we pass away. And walking in the nitty-gritty of life is a bit like someone said, playing golf. If you start playing golf when you're very small, uh, you're young, and they give you a small set of clubs and you start whacking the ball around, that's great. But if you're, if you're not very good when you begin golf when you're young and, and you're kind of a bit way off in your shots, it doesn't matter very much because you can't hit the ball very far. And so if you hit the ball and it goes off a bit, you're probably still on the fairway, which is all right. So you're sort of going generally in the right direction. However, if you become bigger uh, as you grow up and you become better at golf and you can hit the ball further, if you hit it way off, suddenly you have problems. Have you ever done this? Uh, one of my friends in our old church took me golfing. A good walk ruined, I would describe it as. But there I was playing golf and I was big and I could hit the ball quite hard, but I wasn't very good at keeping it straight. And so when I hit it, I sliced it or whatever you do, and it would go somewhere over yonder into the rough, it was called, and I would kind of lose my ball. And because I could hit the ball harder than when if a child, if I'm off, it suddenly causes me much more problems because I, I, I'm not even hitting the fairway. My ball is going way off. And it's a bit like that in life. If you, if you begin your walk with the Lord as a believer and you're young in your faith and some of your thinking is, what, is off, you can still kind of keep yourself on the correct path. As you grow as a believer and you, you kind of get into it and, you find your th- and your thinking is still off, it can actually become disastrous. If you still think that life, you've been a believer many years and you still think life is about getting the house, getting the job, getting whatever it is, possessions and status and stuff, you can wreck your life because it's going off and off further and further off course. And what we want to look at today is a number of beliefs overriding beliefs in our life and how we line them up with God's goal for our life to become more and more like Jesus, which is what we looked at last week. So we're going to try and bring them together because what you believe will determine how successful you are. And you might think, well, I'll be satisfied if you know, all these things happened in my life. But we need to start with correct belief, our faith in Christ, and build from there. And the key to staying on the right path with God is making sure our beliefs are lined up, which is what the whole course has been around. Right from the beginning, we looked at what, how, who we were before God, all those things we had to say, I believe. And this is what the Bible says about us. It's important because that's what guides our life. Um, and we're going to look at eight things today. So if you're taking notes, one to eight, that we're going to look at the things of life that we're going to try and line up with God's thinking. The first one, success comes from having the right goals. Success comes from having the right goal. And we looked, covered much of this last week, that for the success of being a Christian, the right goal is to become more and more like Jesus. Now, it is possible to be a failure in the eyes of the world, but be a success in the eyes of God. It is possible to be a failure in the eyes of the world, but a success in the eyes of God. Take the prophet Jeremiah in the Bible. If you read his story, read some of the book of the Jeremiah, he, his whole ministry looked like a failure. He's known as the weeping prophet because he was prophesying doom and judgment over Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed under his ministry as God judged the people for their constant kind of unfaithfulness to him. 
You know, everything seemed to go wrong in his life, but yet in eternity he is one of the great prophets of Scripture. The book is named after him. It's one of the, the big books of the Old Testament. He was someone who we will see in eternity has been a success in his ministry before God, but on an earthly level he was a complete failure in one sense. And success is related to goals, but you need to have the right goals in what you're doing. We saw last time we looked at that passage from that Peter talked about. We know that God is more interested in what we're like rather than what we do. It's what we're like as character, what we're like as people, how we grow in our faith to Jesus Christ. And our primary goal, goal was to grow in God's character. And there was a list of things. There was goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And these things, and if you go through the New Testament, there are other similar lists of these characters that God would have us grow. And if we focus on developing our character, it leads to success in God's eyes and in God's terms of what he was doing. And we need to base our kind of idea of success and our goals of success on that more than on earthly things. Because you might think, if you look, you might think that you need to have talents or gifts or possessions Um, to make you successful and happy. But if you kind of look around the world, they're very unevenly distributed. You know people who are more talented than you in certain areas or more gifted in certain areas or have more stuff in certain areas. And if you kind of read the parable of the talents that Jesus told, there is an unevenness in that distribution. Some people get more than others. More is demanded of them as a result. But actually that kind of stuff isn't always evenly distributed. And you might say, well, that's not fair, but it would be unfair if God measured you on that. But he doesn't. He measures you on your character and how you responded. And that's one thing that only you can control, and it's not based on anyone else or anyone else's actions. It's something that God would have you do. And actually, we're supposed to be the ones who grow in that character and do that, which we looked at last time. Although gifts and opportunities are not equal, growth in character is equal for all of us because we are all children of God and we can do it. And Christians who are committed to their growth in character and what God wants to do with them are Christians who live successfully in life. Christians who do not, who neglect their character and think it's other things, are going to be like the, the golfer whose shot goes way off and they end up in the rough in their life. If we take a look at the example of Joshua... Joshua was the leader of God's people after Moses. Moses led the people out of the promised land, uh, sorry, out of Egypt towards the promised land, and he had died just before they were going to enter the promised land. And he turned over leadership to Joshua, and Joshua Joshua took over leadership. Moses died, and God came to Joshua and said, Right, we're about to go into the promised land. You need to be strong and courageous. You need to hold firm to my word and the truth of my word and everything I'm going to do, and I will lead you into the promised land. And then they come up to their first test to the promised land which is taking the city of Jericho a famous city and God said I'm going to take the city for you I'm going to deal with it all he said to him was you've got to march around it for seven days and you once a day in silence and on the final day you march around it seven times you blow your trumpets and what will happen the walls will come down and you can take the city and for Joshua all he had to do was be Obedient. He didn't actually have to do anything. It wasn't dependent on his skills. It wasn't dependent on his tactics in warfare and how he could siege the city and take the city. God said, it's not about that. It's about you just being obedient to me and having faith in my word and growing in character. And if we read the story, what happens? Joshua takes the city. The people are victorious and the conquest of the promised land begins kind of at that point. And it wasn't dependent on Joshua and what he could do and how bright he was. 
It was dependent on his faith in God and the fact that he could listen and obey and grow in that. And therefore he got success. So success is accepting God's goal for our lives by his grace in what he has called us to be. And we looked at much of that last week. So success is having the right goals in becoming more like Jesus. All right, significance. I want to be successful as Christians. We also want to be significant as Christians. Now, significance comes from the proper use of time. Significance is all about how we use our time. What is forgotten in time is of little significance. So, you know, what is over, over the years, over the decades, if things are forgotten, it's got no significance. But what is remembered in eternity is of massive significance. So we need to live our life investing our time into what will last for eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, if any man's work remains, he shall receive a reward. The idea you work for something that is going to outlast you, that is going to become beyond you. He wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, train yourself to be godly, for physical work is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for this, the present life, and the life to come. If you want to increase your significance, focus your energies on significant activities, ones that will remain for eternity, ones that will outlast you and that will go on into that. If we think about the things of this world and the things that the world values, in a few years' time, they will not matter. I don't know if you've noticed, the, um, it's, uh, in the movies and TVs, it's award season. I think we've got the Oscars coming up soon, the Academy Awards. A lot of fuss if you read the paper. The big question is, will Leonardo finally win an Oscar? He's been nominated a bunch of times and hasn't won. He's got this film out that I really can't pronounce, The Revenant. Is that how you pronounce it? And it's like, is, is Leonardo finally going to win? And he will, he might, he won't, he probably will. And everyone will be a big fuss. But you know what? Can you remember who won the Oscar for Best Actor 20 years ago? No, because it really doesn't matter. It's got no eternal significance. There'll be a bit of fuss for a few days. It will make front page news. There will be somebody who wins Best Actor with his you know, little silly statue and they'll be on the paper and it'll be great and he'll be famous for a few minutes and then life will go on. No one cares about those kind of things. There's all this big fuss. Uh, if you're a football fan, is Leicester going to win the Premiership? Leicester? Really? Who won the league 20 years ago? No one knows, no one cares. It's just, it's gone. It's got no significance beyond this life. It's all going to fade. It's all going to come to nothing. All the achievements that we've got, jobs you've got, promotions you've got. 1983, I was the Cub King Conquer champion. I won. I've got a little shield at home. I won. Do you remember the Conquers? I was the winner. No one knows. No one cares. I've just told you and you'll all forget by the end of the, the sermon. But I was the winner. But it's just going to pass away in time. It's going to pass away in time. But when we work for the things of God that will last into eternity, it is of great significance. Right now, we've got a bunch of faithful adults who are laboring with our young people and our children now missing out on this awesome sermon and they're giving their time free of charge to love and serve our kids and tell them about Jesus. And what they're inputting into those young lives from the really small preschoolers all the way up to our teenagers is something that will last for eternity. Because they're teaching them about truths from God's word. They're teaching them about Jesus. They're teaching them about what Jesus did for them. 
It teaches about how it applies to their life. God willing, by our prayers, they'll be able to pray with some of them and lead some of them to Jesus one day. And we'll have stories that will last into eternity because some faithful kids workers, youth workers, spent time with our children, taught them about Jesus, led them to Jesus, and they will therefore be in heaven with us for eternity because of their commitment. That is going to last. That is important. That is significant. More than any awards we may see on the television. And it will never make front page news. But in eternity, it will be trumpeted from the mountaintops. Faithful, significant service. So significance comes from proper use of our time. Next one, fulfillment comes from serving each other. Peter wrote, um, 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, that's what we've got, use it to serve one another as God's steward, oh, sorry, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Fulfillment. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Nice. I'm now trying to place it. Dun, 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 dun. That's Wallace and Gromit, isn't it? Oh, well. Anyway, fulfillment is discovering your own uniqueness in Christ and using our gifts and talents to build up and glorify the Lord. Contrary to what the world would believe, fulfillment doesn't come from external things. It comes from using what we've got to serve one another. Wherever we find ourselves, wherever you are kind of placed right now, whatever you find yourself doing, you using what God has called you, 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 you use those gifts to serve one another. And the reality is God has got a unique place for all of us. There are 7 billion people in the world, or so, so thereabouts, and nobody occupies the place that you do. Nobody is the, the member of the family in the way you are. No one is the, the worker in the workplace in quite the way, way you are. No one is the friend to the friendship network that you are. You occupy a totally unique place in this world. No one else can replace you and what you do and where you live and where you go. There's no one else quite like you. And we are there for a reason. God has called us to be Christ's ambassadors is one of the the language uh, the Bible uses, that we are to be there and to project Christ, live like Christ, act like Christ, speak like Christ in those places to serve the people around us. We have a unique role and our fulfillment comes in living with that, embracing that and giving ourselves to one another and giving ourselves to serve everybody around us. And to do what Jesus would be done. Those bracelets that were popular a while ago. You know, What would Jesus do? Well, in this situation, he would seek to love and show compassion and serve. So wherever you find yourself, whatever family situation you're in, whatever work situation you're in, whatever friendship network or kind of social group you're a part of, God has placed you there for a reason. And he's given you skills and gifts to speak into that place, to love and to serve and to give yourself to it. And that's how we find fulfillment, not through kind of pulling things into ourselves, what can we give to ourselves, but actually what can we give out by God's grace to others. So our call is not to try and be someone different. Don't try and be like, oh, if I was only like them, if I was only had that position or I was smarter, I could do that, I'd do that. God's called you into a particular place where you'll find yourself right now that only you can have significance. 
and fulfillment in that place. I remember a story that came to me. I, I heard about it many years after it happened, but I used to be a school teacher. My first, uh, it was my second class actually, there was a young girl in the class called Chelsea who was just one of the 30 kids I, I spoke about and I taught her for the year and then she moved on to big school because it was year six, so they went off to the comprehensive and I didn't think much of it, moved on to the next class. Many years later I left teaching, I was working for a local church and one of the ladies in our church said, who was a driving instructor and she came to me and said, Stuart, you know, remember when you were working at the school? Yeah, yeah, because it was in the same town. Do you remember this girl who was in your class called Chelsea? And I was like, yes, I do remember. She used to sit there, you know. And she said, well, I'm now taking her for driving lessons, which was scary in and of its own because she had grown up to the point. She can drive? She's 11. There's no why you're laying in a car. No, she's, okay, she's grown up. Time has moved on. She said, and as part of the process of kind of getting to know her and getting to know her family, they talked about whatever they, and my name came up not sure how, but it did. And she said, oh yeah, there was, um, when Chelsea was at school, she was really struggling, but she had this teacher in year six who, who basically gave her time and spoke faith to her, said she can do, she can do this, she can, she can work hard, she can work out these problems, she can, who encouraged her, and as a result, it boosted her confidence so much that it's helped her now go through school later on. And they said, and she's like, oh really, who's that teacher? And the teacher was me. And the irony was, I'd only have known about it through that conversation. I hadn't got a clue that happened at the time. And with hindsight, I'm not sure I did particularly much. But the fact is, I, subs- I just served her as one of the children in my class that I'd served. But it had an effect on her life of a teacher speaking positively to her and encouraging her in her work, saying, you can do this, that was then bearing dividends five, six years later. And who knows what it's doing now? And they knew why I'd left teaching. They knew I was now working for a local church. And it was a wonderful gift of God that he revealed that to me because I didn't have a clue. But it was actually by serving others and living your life to things that are beyond this world, you'll find fulfillment in what you're doing. So we looked at that. Okay, next one, satisfaction. Satisfaction comes from giving a living a quality life. What will give us real satisfaction? Because I can't get no satisfaction. Matthew said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be they will be satisfied or they will be filled, other translations say. Here's a question. Do you believe that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because that's what's going to bring satisfaction. That's what's going to bring fulfillment. Living a godly life. Living a godly life, living an ungodly life will, come, will lead to dissatisfaction because that's the kind of the opposite of that. And nothing else will satisfy in the same way as living a godly life. And actually, what, what brings dissatisfactions, if, if, things, if you're not living a godly life and, and things aren't working out the way they are, if you ask someone why they're dissatisfied, they might you know, talk about it, but inevitably it would probably come back to when they feel like a relationship or a service or something they've got, kind of the quality of it diminishes. The quality of it diminishes. And for us as relational beings, we need to have quality relationships. We need to have quality friendships and relationships that help us build this life where we thirst after righteousness because the reality is that's the way God's designed us. 
said to Adam, you're not good to be alone, so I'll bring Eve. And then he says, well, I want you to multiply and create more. And then he called a people for himself through Abraham. And then he's got the church, which is growing and multiplying. He says, I want you to be in part of a community of believers to grow and multiply together. And that will bring you satisfaction as you hunger and thirst after righteousness together. It says in uh, Proverbs 18 that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we have a relationship with God, but we need to have relationships with one another that are true and real. Anyone here on Facebook? I am, unfortunately. Um, I don't use it very much, but I am. I looked this morning. Do you know how many Facebook friends I've got? Do you know how many friends, according to Facebook, I've got? 326. I checked it this morning. I was gobsmacked. There's no way on this earth I have 326 friends. I haven't got time for them all. I looked back through them, and I thought, some of them, when you ever look through your Facebook friends and think, who are you? <laughs> who? What? And I just found all these people would think, half oh, these people I haven't spoken to for decades. I don't know why I'm friends with them on this, in this sense. They're probably very nice people, but they're not. I don't have quality relationships with them. They're just numbers in a cyberspace or something. And I imagine it's the same. But... We need to be people who are going to build quality relationships with one another. Even if you look at the model of Jesus, he, had, he taught multitudes. He sent out 70 at one point for ministry. But how many did he invest in? Twelve. And of those twelve, how many did he really kind of take time with? Three. Who were the ones who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Gethsemane. There was Peter, James, and John. Who did he trust the care of his mother to when he was on the cross? John. They were his kind of his close friends. He had quality relationships with them. And actually, if we're going to live that quality level of life, actually, we need to have quality real relationships with Naomi. If you're married, obviously, your spouse will come first. You have children, children, but then outside that, relationships with you know, same-sex friends who you can do life together with and grow with that because satisfaction comes from living righteously and seeking to raise a level of quality in our relationships and what we do. So that's what we're after, after building good quality relationships and living righteous lives. And I don't know about you, but I know what's helped me stay on the straight and narrow is people speaking into my life and helping me grow in righteousness. It's not an individual pursuit becoming a Christian. It's a community, family affair where we go at it together. Okay, time's cracking on. Number five, happiness comes from wanting what we have. Happiness comes from wanting what we have. Okay, if you look at adverts on the television, they're everywhere. You can get the latest car, the latest phone. My phone contract is running out. Oh my goodness, everyone wants to be my friend now. I get emails and texts saying, you can upgrade, you can do this, you can get a bigger and better or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, the one I've got is just fine. But the world is kind of trying to, trying to say, that if you, you won't be happy unless you upgrade to the iPhone 8 Plus or whatever it is and you know, whatever's coming next. You, you won't be happy if you ha- have that. And... As a society now, we live in the most abundance of everything in the history of the world. We've got more varieties of food and leisure activities and just things we can spend our time, energy, or money on. But it seems we are more unhappy than ever. I think one of the most prescribed forms of medication is antidepressants. 
We can't be happy as a society. Why? Because things don't make us happy. Things don't make us happy. And as long as you're focusing on what you don't have, you won't be happy. We need to be focused on the enjoying what we do have. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. The reality is you have everything you need right now to make you happy forever. Everything you need to make you happy forever, you have right now if you're a believer. And what is that? Jesus. That wasn't a trick question. Jesus. And... God has promised to supply all our needs through Christ. It's why in 1 Thessalonians, Paul can say you need to give thanks in all circumstances because you have everything you need to be happy. And if we dwell on that and what, that we have everything we need to make us happy, we have everything we need to kind of do life, it, that should generate joy in our hearts, especially when it's compared to what we should have received. What do we actually deserve? We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment for all the things we've done. We don't receive it because that's been laid on Christ and we've received his righteousness, which is wonderful. So if you want to be happy, we know to live a a contented, thankful life with what we have in Christ already. And if we are find ourselves in that position, just that tempted way to say, I want more, just so you know, I have a birthday coming up. You might want to take the date down, 13th of April, just if you're interested in buying me a present. But my youngest son, who's quite interested in birthdays because he's just had one and he's keen for his next one to come along. He's four and he's, he's like, when's my next birthday? And my wife said, well, before you have your birthday, daddy's got to have his birthday. We have to wait a really long time. Then mummy has her birthday. Then Levi has his birthday and then you get another one. And so he always clocked on to daddy's birthday's next. So he keeps asking me, daddy, when's your birthday? He just keeps coming out with, Daddy, when's your birthday? And I was like, well, it's not for a little little while, but not too long. And so he just keeps asking me, what do you want for your birthday? And I think all he's trying to do is will it to make it go faster. So I've got mine, Mel has hers, Levi has hers, and then he can have his again. Um, But what it's done in me is I'm suddenly thinking, it's my birthday. You know, what do I want? I want more. I'm clearly not satisfied with everything I have now. So I start looking around thinking, well, obviously I need this new and that new. So I start making a list and it's like, whoa, let's calm down. I actually don't need anything else, um, but I'm sure I will be blessed on my birthday by my family anyway. But it kind of, it tempts you to start thinking about more and more. And if you ever feel like that, you should read the story of Israel. Because when they were brought out of slavery, bear in mind they were slaves, indentured servants for their entire life, God brings them out of slavery under Moses. It's a dramatic story. There are plagues and the Passover and uh, parting of the Red Sea. And they go into the wilderness, having been free from Egypt and this evil ruler who was crushing them, destroying them, murdered all their babies. He was very hard. And then they, they find themselves in the wilderness. And life is, is better than it was in Egypt, but it's not always easy. And what do we find them doing? It's brilliant, this, this incident in Exodus, where they say to Moses, who's basically led them out, and God who's saved them and given them the law, and he dwells his presence among us. They, they say to Moses, do you know what? It was better back in Egypt. You know, life was better there. They, we're not satisfied with what this. We're not happy with what we got, which is basically supernatural food every day that just comes from heaven, 
manna and quail. Our clothes don't wear out at all. They're just, they seem to be indestructible by God's grace. But do you know what? Being back in Egypt was better. We want more. We want to go back to Egypt where they, they attacked us, they killed us, they murdered our children. We had to work all day. We had no money. And they were, they were in this situation where they, were, they couldn't be happy with what they have. They couldn't see it. They wanted more. And in their kind of sinful thinking and hard hearts, they actually wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt, which is ridiculous in what it is. And we will, for us, we need to be happy with what I have, focus on what we've got, not always looking for more, because that will lead to dissatisfaction. And we will be happy all our lives if we're thankful for what we do have rather than focusing on what we don't. And that obviously starts first and foremost with what we have in Christ, which will never be taken from us. Number six, fun comes from enjoying the life moment by moment. We want to enjoy life. Jesus said, I come that you will have life in abundance. Have it full. God is the God of fun and joy and laughter. And um, I don't know about you, if you think about, back on some of the fun things you've done in life, they tend to be the more spontaneous things that you just kind of enjoyed and they've come about and happened. When you plan to have fun, it can sometimes be a bit of a letdown. We will go out and we will have fun together and you kind of put this pressure on it, it can sometimes be you know, a bit of a, a letdown. And what we need to do is sometimes need to just throw off our inhibitions and just have fun together. The irony is the world knows about that. Because how does the world have fun? It gets rid of its inhibitions by drinking. That's what they do. Drink, get rid of their inhibitions, because that will be fun. Because they can throw off them and they can go and just do stuff and enjoy myself. Unfortunately, it doesn't lead anywhere good. But actually, there's a principle in there. Actually, if we throw off unbiblical hindrances, which is often how we look or how we'll be perceived, you know, how we think about ourselves. Oh my goodness, you know, how's people going to think if I act like this? One of the the things that my my son, my youngest son, is teaching me about this. We've got very two different, very different boys. My youngest loves to sing and dance. He loves to sing along to uh, the music he sees on the TV, the themes, the songs we have at church. His favorite one at the moment is Nappy Day, because we sing Happy Day here. He goes home and he, says, na- he just sings, Nappy Day, Nappy Day, and he works out, you can get it on my phone. You can watch the video on YouTube, and I showed it to him once, and he comes to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, Nappy Day, Nappy Day. So I put Nappy Day on the phone, and he danced around the kitchen, but then what, and I think that's kind of cute, but then what he says is, Daddy, you dance. Now, if you've ever seen me dance... Well, I can't, so you haven't seen it. But if you ever try and see me move to music, I just can't do it. I can't even sing and clap at the same time. I just, like the rhythm, I just can't do it. But Asher wants Daddy to dance with him. And I, I'm even in, the, I'm in a room alone with a four-year-old who can't speak very well. And I still feel self-conscious like I can't dance. Because what will people think? He's four, there's no one else there. You know, what will people think of me? And so I find myself dancing around our kitchen with my youngest son yelling nappy day. Well, actually, I say happy day because that's the correct. But he's yelling nappy day. And actually, some of the most fun times I have with my kids are these kind of spontaneous times that we do that. And what it kind of teaches us is about our... Is to have fun, we need to be able to be spontaneous, go with the moment, but also it needs to, we need to not think so strongly about ourselves and get into people-pleasing. What will people think of me? What will people kind of, how will people judge me if I do this, if I enjoy myself, if I go with these things? The classic Bible example, interestingly very similar, is about um, um, David when he 
brought the ark back to Jerusalem and he danced before God with all his might, it said. Um, and his wife, it said, was watching and she despised him because of how he was behaving before the people as the king. And David kind of pushed back and said, well, actually, no, this is how I'm going to be. I will become more undignified, he says, because I'm going to praise and worship God. And it says, if you read in 2 Samuel 6, the story says, God was displeased with her attitude, not his as the king, because he was giving himself to God. It's, also, it's always a lot more fun to try and please God than people. Okay, last two. Number seven, security comes from focusing on eternal values. Okay, we looked at this, I think a couple of weeks back, about where our security is. And if our security is in things we try and control, um, that we have no ability to control, we will feel insecure and we will find life very difficult if we're trying to make things work for ourselves when we can't do it. And insecurity is a global problem. Look what happened at the financial crisis. How many years ago was that? A few years ago now. It kind of literally shook the world because money is suddenly kind of losing value. And what about this? What about that? And those kind of tests are great because they test where our security lies. And there's only one place you can find eternal security. And where's that? In Christ. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus said, no one can take you out of my hand. No one can snatch you away. Ephesians says, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal that will last for eternity. You cannot get more secure than that. And when we focus on eternal values and what God is thinking about, we will then feel secure. Paul wrote in Philippians, but whatever gain I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things in order, and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's my focus All right, last one, and then we'll wrap up. Time's pressing. Peace comes from quieting quieting the inner storm in our hearts. Christmas time, what's one of the things we wish for other people? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. This is what people want. And as we saw last time, that's a great desire, but it's not a very good goal because you cannot control that. You can't control external peace. I read in the, the paper the other day, there's been a ceasefire in Syria That's good, they've stopped fighting, but let's be honest, how long do we think that will last? People make, nations make treaties, break treaties all the time. I've seen images on the news of of peace protesters marching, and they meet another group of marchers who are more activists, and what happens to the peace protesters? (laughs) They end up in a scrap, and you're like, well, that's that's not very peaceful, is it? When we try and... Control others with peace, it doesn't work. So we need to be people focused on internal peace. Which, and the good news is for us, we already have peace with God, Romans 5. If you're a believer, you have peace with God in Christ. The peace of God is internal, not external. It's, it's to do with what's happening on the inside. And the great news for us is we already have that. Jesus said to his followers, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. We have peace with God and nothing, can ex- dis- nothing external can disrupt that. If you have peace with God and he's in your life and he's ruling and reigning, no matter what comes, nothing can shake that. Chaos may reign all around it, but you can say nothing that will happen today, there's nothing that's going to happen today that me and God cannot handle together. Nothing. 
There's nothing that's going to hit your life tomorrow, the next day, that you and God cannot handle together. Paul, uh, Paul says in his lesson about how do we get peace? Why prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we present our request to God, and then the peace of God that guards our heart and mind will come to us. Jesus Christ is described as the Prince of Peace. And that's how. And so for us, we need to live with that peace, not, not so much focus on the external, but on the internal, that we have that before God. So we, pay, we, we gain peace by having the exter- um, focusing on the internal rather than the external. Okay, let's finish this. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. We've finished the course. This is the end. We're going to land the plane. If you've missed any of the stuff, it's all online. You can go and listen to it, and there are resources you can get to to kind of learn more and more about it. But as really, I just want to kind of remind us of some important parts of this. Number one, God is interested in your character. That's what he's interested in. That is his primary thing. He wants you to grow in character and become more and more like Jesus. That is his goal for your life. And if you devote the rest of your days to that, they will be well spent. Because you'll be lining up your life with what God wants you to do. No matter where God takes you, no matter what job you have, no matter who you marry or how your kids turn out or whatever tragedy and harm come to your life, if we focus on growing more and more like Jesus, you are going to have a life well spent doing it. And through that, you're going to have these other things. You'll find success. You'll find fulfillment. You will find happiness. You will find fun. You will find peace only in Christ because that is the only one that lasts forever everything else we focus on this world will one day die and the good news is you're God's child he delights in you and there's nothing that can prevent you becoming who God wants you to be no external circumstances the enemy can't do it your family can't do it your boss can't do it no one can stop you only you can stop you and God's goal for your life has come more and more like Jesus if you partner with that you will grow and you'll do that. And God's goal is for you to be kind of more like Jesus. Not on what you do. It's on how you are and who you are. And I kind of want to finish just by reading something. And I'd love you to sort of dwell on this. And then maybe we'll pray to finish. So can you stand up? Can the band come back? I'm just going to read this. this was, I came across this and I thought this is, it looked like a good way to end this course. So maybe you want to close your eyes and think about kind of what's happened over the last few months as part of the church. Think about what God's done in your life, feeling what God's done in terms of forgiveness, wrong thinking he may have dealt with in your life. Maybe you just want to give him thanks for some of those experiences you've been through. I don't know what's happening in your life right now, what external circumstances are raging around you. But I'd love us to make a commitment today that we will move forward with Jesus. Come what may. And the reality is no one can guarantee what comes tomorrow. We don't know if another financial crisis will hit or something worse. We just don't know. But what we do know is that we're loved by God. We're welcomed by God. We have been made holy and righteous by him. We're going to be with him forever. He is interested in growing our character. And he will work on that all the days of our life. Let me read this to you. Maybe see if you can amen at the end. It says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. 
decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, miserly giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer and labour by power. My pace is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Lord Jesus, as we finish this course and all the things you've done, Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Lord, we want to thank, say thank you for your word that proclaims truth over our lives, of how we are loved by a Father, that we are now holy and righteous with you. Our sins have been forgiven, our guilt washed away, our eternity is secure, Lord God. We, we thank you that we are your precious children. We can come into your presence any time, any day, and speak to a loving Heavenly Father who wants to spend time with us. We thank you for your Spirit that is here with us now dwelling in each one of us with your people. We thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice on the cross, your resurrection from the dead that made this all possible. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you, we praise you, we worship you. And God's people said, Amen.